Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who have always known that Megan Fox does more for bisexuals than she does for straight boys. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2009's Jennifer's Body. Chip is looking really cute to me lately. How is he tasting these days? You are never a good friend. You could have anybody that you want. Why Chip? People know I'm killing boys. Are you scared? Thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. I will finish you if I have to. Okay. You can barely finish gym class. Before we get into deep here, we just want to give you a little teaser for the second half of this episode, which is that our friend Joey Donatelli is going to be joining us. They are one of the nicest people in the world and also just so happen to be our merch designer. Um, they're a doll collector, uh, like active on TikTok. Um, also, they do a majority of the product and packaging design for Trixie Mattel, which is really cool. Um and we just love them, and we think that you'll love them too. They speak faster and with more expression than almost anyone I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Which will be a fun listening experience. So you have that to look forward to. But yeah, Audrey, how are you? Um, I'm good. It's finally spring weather here. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that in the morning when the sun rises, it beats directly on my bedroom window <laughs> and creates a greenhouse effect. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. And I wake up really hot, really overheated. And then like, I, I it was so hot in my room when I woke up, I had to turn on my window unit. Whoa. Which is That's crazy. wild. Yeah, like it's, it's you know, it's like 59 degrees outside, but because of the sun, the sun's beating on my room. <laughs> Wait, have you lived in that apartment in the summertime yet? Yeah, I, we moved here August 1st last year. Right. Moments before we got on uh, the Zoom here, Audrey and I were both just interviewed for a local news segment about our show choir documentary, which was fun. Also, I just wanted to say to those of you who care slash have been listening, um, this is the first episode we've recorded post uh, my play happening and it went super duper well. I'm Audrey came into town and it was really nice to have her there and she, uh, she and Josh filmed the uh, play. So if you're interested in seeing it, which I'm guessing most of you would be based on subject matter alone, let us know. We already have a spreadsheet going of those who are interested. Maybe we'll do another little sticker thing to collect people's emails, but it'll be cute and fun and you're invited. We don't know when we're going to stream it, but we're going to stream it. 
we are going to do our hot take of the week with Joey in the second half. So you can look forward to that then. So um, I will guide us through the facts because for once I did the notes this week. Okay. So Jennifer's Body was released in theaters on September 18th, 2009 and was overall very much a Diablo Cody joint. And I will get into more about her. It was directed by Karen Kusama, which to me felt a little random just looking at her history. Like she had only directed this one feature before um, and it was called Girl Fight, which apparently was really critically acclaimed and people really liked it. And it was about teenage girls as well. So probably not that random of a choice. She just like, she like had the hype at the time um, from Girl Fight. And actually um, I, we got um, Karin to come in for Fusion uh, one year and she showed... um, she showed her film that was new. Oh, it, it was Nicole Kidman, like, fighting crime. I forget what it was called. What? But it that was, like, fun. a few years ago. We got her to come in, and I feel like all the Q&A questions were about Jennifer's body. Everybody just wants to talk about Jennifer's body. That's funny. I buy that, though. People are so into it, which we'll yeah. get into. Diablo Cody. If you listen to this podcast, you know who Diablo Cody is, but she is best known for writing Juno, Period. But then also uh, wrote, obviously, Jennifer's Body, a young adult. Uh, this movie, Tully, which I think Tully. is coming out. Tully? No, Did Tully. it come out in 2018? Out, yeah, it came out a few years ago. And it it makes complete sense that she wrote that. Um, it's uh, Charlize Theron being an overworked mother. And that is yes. very much the vibe of what Diablo c- cares about now. Also, she... Seems like she created and ran this TV show called One Mississippi. Um, But fun fact, she was also an executive producer on the United States of Tara. So that's cool too. And Diablo Cody is an interesting case in that she kind of got like shat on by the industry after Juno to a certain extent, um, which we'll get into later because it kind of overlaps with Megan Fox's treatment by media in general. But anyway, this movie, Jennifer's Body, was produced, well, executive produced by Diablo Cody, but then also this trio of men, Daniel Dubiecki, Mason Novick, and Jason Reitman, who clearly are like a little collaborative group. They all worked on Juno. They almost all of them worked on Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking, but Mason Novick notably worked on 500 Days of Summer, which awoke a need in me to do an episode on 500 Days of Summer that I did <laughs> not know existed. So we had those people working on the movie. Should we read this plot synopsis? When a demon takes possession of her, high school hottie Jennifer... Jennifer Check. I know her last name. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> added it. Jennifer Check turns a hungry eye on guys who never stood a chance with her before. While evil Jennifer satisfies her appetite for human flesh with the school's male population, her nerdy friend Needy learns what's happening and vows to put an end to the carnage. It, it's simply not about that. <laughs> I don't think it's not. These events happen, Mm. but that it doesn't outline the true conflict. Yeah, but the true conflict is like a plot twist more than anything else. Also, to me, Needy is the main character, not not Jennifer. Agreed. Yeah. 
we'll get much more into this. Um, but Audrey, you know what you have to do. Taglines. We've got one and it is she's evil dot 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 and not just high school evil. <laughs> I think that's oh. okay. Okay, let's get into this cast. So obviously we have Megan Fox as Jennifer the titular role, if you will. Um, And she is best known for a lot of different things, but in terms of credits, um, she's best known for being in Transformers as the hot girl, obviously. Uh, She was in the movie that started this entire podcast, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, as Carla Santini, love. She was also in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2014 and 2016. And that those are projects she's literally openly shat on since being on them, which yeah. is funny. <laughs> um, she was also on a bunch of this show called Hope and Faith, which I didn't know about, but I saw it on her IMDb. And she's also in the Love the Way You Lie video, which... Uh, I would recommend rewatching. Uh, it had been a while since I even listened to the whole song and the video is pretty unhinged. So you should watch it if you haven't recently. Um, also, just like some of the rhymes in that song never cease to be extremely amusing. Yeah. <laughs> like you're watching her leave out the window. Guess that's why they call it window pane. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. Um Also, interestingly, I didn't know about this, but it'll come up later. Uh, Part of what like led to her downfall in the public eye is that she had this like really horrendous like moment with the press on the red carpet at the Golden Globes. Audrey, are you familiar with this situation? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually just like I've been kind of binge watching like the current Megan Fox interviews just to like get a feel for her Uh and she there was this one video that was like a would you still wear this and but the picture they gave her was from that event so she was looking at the outfit of what she wore to that event where that happened and she said that basically what happened was she just (laughs) at the golden globes they put these giant bottles of champagne on the table yeah and that she was like at a table with blake lively and the jonas brothers and she like (laughs) drank way too much champagne and then just, just said a bunch of shit she shouldn't have said on the red carpet. Yeah, I was, when I watched the video, my jaw dropped. I could not believe what she said. I'm not going to recount it here. And really, I shouldn't even be doing her dirty by bringing it up. But uh, it led to a downside in public uh, opinion, clearly. Now she's intensely dating Machine Gun Kelly, which is a whole thing I've basically avoided because I don't care. But Audrey... How would you characterize the dynamic? Um, Machine Gun Kelly is from Cleveland, which is just like a notable fact. Um, I always forget I, that. I remember when when the Cavaliers won in 2016, he was here. And I remember he was there in Cleveland. I don't know why I say here as though we're both <laughs> there. Um, and he was like swinging off the traffic um, lights. Like Whoa. he was like climbing shit and he like was on a float in the championship parade. I remember seeing him and he was just like beyond hype. Like it, it was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can and sort of have some level of, I don't listen to his music and now he's doing that like cringy emo boy thing <laughs> with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just classic. Also, I wanted to mention that Megan Fox also has a stint on New Girl that oh, I rewatched yeah. um, semi recently, and I was like, 
why is Megan Fox here? It was while Zoe was gone. I think she was having a baby. Oh, that's and, uh, weird. It was like season four, season five, and she's on the show. I never watched New Girl for obvious reasons. See, I like didn't think it would be good, but then I watched it and genuinely I would laugh. The only thing that I like really took in about her dating MGK was that she was like, I met him and I realized we were twin flames. And they're like, they are really, uh, it kind of seems like they're made for each other, but also seems like it could end in total disaster. Next up, we have Amanda Seyfried as needy and... I resent this woman because for some reason she cornered the market on movie musical ingenue casting, but she's not good at singing. I think she's just like very passable at singing. Yeah. It's just like, like, it's not great, but she's because she's like a bankable movie star. She can like do that. She can get away with that. She sounds like Snow White in Les Mis. Like she sounds like a little hummingbird. (laughs) Yeah, which like kind of works stylistically, but also I'm just like, there are so many talented singers in this world. Just why? Um, But that's another topic for a different time. But she's in Mamma Mia and Les Mis, but she's currently in The Dropout, which is the Elizabeth Banks TV show. Elizabeth Um, Holmes. (laughs) Fuck. I knew as I said it, it was wrong, but I went for it anyway. Elizabeth Banks is an actress. Who's Elizabeth Holmes? Elizabeth Holmes is the Theranos creator. Uh, that's Literally, what the dropout. Why is do you about. think I know what that is? I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, what is that? <laughs> you remember the whole scandal about the woman who started the billion-dollar company, where she was trying to, she was trying to revolutionize healthcare by making it so you could prick your finger and do like give one drop of blood and be able to run like countless tests on it, which is like physically impossible. I've, I'm like shocked that you missed that one. I have yeah. literally never heard of this in my entire <laughs> life. Oh my God. Well, there's so much content about it. And I, um, Yara actually recently posted a video about like, does every real life disaster situation need to be a fictionalized show? Like, I watched do we really the video. have to do that. And the dropout is another example. Like, wh- why you should just listen to the podcasts or you know watch the interviews. Like, the, to me, the real thing is so much more interesting than the fictional version could ever be. Okay, wrapping her up. Her big break was Mean Girls. She was only on soap operas before then. We have Adam Brody as Nikolai, the front man of the band that abducts Jennifer or whatever, uses her as a sacrifice. Um, And he was best known for being on the OC, Jennifer's body, obviously, Ready or Not, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and otherwise IDK. I looked at his Wikipedia page. I don't know. I don't know. And then we have Johnny Simmons as Chip Dove, a.k.a. Needy's boyfriend. Um, I knew he looked familiar, but I couldn't figure out why. He's Brad in Perks of Being a Wallflower, a.k.a. the boyfriend of his older sister, the main guy's older sister. Um, and again, this awoke a need in me to do an episode on that movie really bad. Um, he's also in Scott Pilgrim versus the World and The To-Do List. And that's that on that man. The budget is an estimated $16 million. Um, that's pretty nice. It's not huge, but I feel like, you know, it's a nice mid, mid-level. 
box office opening weekend made $6,868,397. And the overall worldwide gross is $31,556,061. So that's like pretty dang good. Um, Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's a slow, a slow... build to success over time like it wasn't an immediate success in the theaters by any means but now it's not even a cult classic it's just everybody loves it (laughs) so the critic score for jennifer's body on rotten tomatoes is 45 percent and the critic consensus is as follows jennifer's body features occasionally clever dialogue but its horror comedy premise ultimately fails to be consistently funny or scary enough to satisfy And I'm just going to read you some quotes from the reviews from the period. When I was looking on Rotten Tomatoes, there was a lot of like 2019 and on like critics weighing in after the fact, which felt very like classic because this movie was a sleeper hit. Um, But here are some reviews from the time. Um, This first one comes from Catherine Bray of Channel 4 Film. This is a positive one, (laughs) rarely. Jennifer's body has more to say about the dynamics of teenage female friendship, sexual power games, and the trials of adolescence than many a more self-consciously worthy film. But even without this uplifting backbone, it would still be an above-averagely entertaining night at the cinema. At last, a film for girls and right-minded boys that cuts out Bridget Jones' style winging about wobbly thighs, dispenses with obsessive Jane Austen husband-seeking, and completely ignores the naff material of Sex in the City in favor of a funny fable about high school friendship and sexual awakening. Catherine really knocked it out of the park with that one, and she didn't need 11 years to get that take in order. Yeah, truly. But now we kind of get into the uh, generally male critical response to this movie. So Christopher Orr of The Atlantic said this in 2009. The wiser-than-wise patter of Juno also worked in large part because the character herself was fundamentally innocent and the dissonance was endearing. The jokes about the meanness of Diana Ross and her own status as a cautionary whale gave Juno McGuff an edge. But Jennifer Check is all edges to begin with. Well, and curves, you. Coming from the mouth of her predatory mm-hmm. Megan Fox, Diablo Cody's dialogue, which always flirts with self-satisfaction, too often feels like the smug growling of the overdog. <laughs> What first of all, what are they talking about? Literally, Literally what? What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then last but can not I, least. Can I read Rogers? Yeah, it's really weird though. Like okay. Roger did not know what to say about this movie, clearly. He said, Megan Fox is an interesting case. We think of her as a star, but this is actually her first leading role. She didn't get to number 18 on a Maxim's Hot 100 list of 2007 for acting. The top post went to Lindsay Lohan. How quickly times change. Fox is also famous for her many tattoos, but in researching that aspect of her image, I made an encouraging discovery. Anyone can have a tattoo of a butterfly. Been there, done that. But Megan Fox has a tattoo that quotes King Lear. We will laugh at gilded butterflies. How cool is that? Plus, so far, there are no tiresome rumors about booze and drugs. Doesn't that feel like really out of character for him? Yeah, kind of. Because he has reviewed other actresses in a similar spot to Megan Fox in a really respectful and nuanced way in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why does that all go out the window when it comes to Megan Fox? I don't know what it's. It's this like 
perfect storm of things she said, the way people perceived her, people feeling threatened by her, and um, the the uh, Transformers situation. It, it was kind of just this like... Is the Transformers situation just that she was sexualized in it? There's that. So, of course, there will be women, sadly, there will be women who watch her in that and like kind of demonize her or be like shame on her for like being this way or whatever. And then yeah. also she had a falling out with a director of Transformers. Oh, right. And, and that's what really turned people's uh, perception of her. Right. Negative. Now I remember. Okay, so audience score, 35. Even less than the critic score, which I don't understand how that's possible, especially considering the renaissance it's having. But here's just three short little reviews that I pulled. I've had bowel movements that left me more satisfied than this movie. I love horror lesbians and it's dope. I would smash. LOL. And then just, I added this in. There were like a ton of reviews on there now that were like literally just re-spewing points that like Yara's video makes and that like everyone's ubiquitous statement about this movie now was like, it yeah. was mismarketed. But everyone says that as if they're like inventing the light bulb whenever they say it. It's literally not news. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just on the Rotten Tomatoes page, it's like, this was mismarketed. And I'm like, thank you so much. That's like the 80th person who's written that here. Yeah. Um, okay, so normally we would get into the, like, cultural context, the gossip section, um, but I thought it would be worth going a little bit more into depth about this interview that Diablo Cody and Megan Fox did in 2019. Um, it was like the Jennifer's Body reunion is how it's described, but there were just a couple parts of it that were particularly interesting to me. This movie came out two years after Juno, so clearly Diablo Cody was, like, really hot at the time that the movie came out, and it was, like, it was her first feature that she had ever written and she was very much like an industry darling at the time. And in this interview, she was talking about, because it was in 2009, um, like Twitter was new back then. And that after Jennifer's Body came out, she like really masochistically searched her own name on Twitter and saw like all these industry peers just like shitting on the movie and the screenplay mm -hmm. and like her work as a creative. And she was like, I don't know if they thought I just wouldn't see it. I don't know if they thought I wasn't on Twitter, um, but that really hurt me. And Megan Fox was like, yeah, 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 I never do that. Um, which I just thought was interesting and sad and very 2009. Also in that interview, which we'll link to because it's yeah. very interesting. Diablo was talking about how at the test screening, they would recruit the wrong audience to watch the film, which was people who love Juno and then like 18 to 24 white guys instead yeah. of, you know, horror fans or, you know, coming of age, you know, or like, like teen girl movie fans. Like that's what it should have been. She was talking about how they'll, they'll give you a card and to write your kind of opinions and fill out a questionnaire when you are in a test screening. And some like boy wrote that it needs more boobs uh, that was his his great takeaway. Yeah. Um, and apparently it was spelled B-E-W-B-S. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, like, that's what they were working with here. Yeah. Um, and Megan also brings up 
an interesting point in this interview that I never know how to wrap my head around fully. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she was talking about how... um, Obviously, so many improvements have been made since this film came out as far as like spotlighting um, misogyny in the industry and, and all that stuff. But Megan is talking about how she still feels that there isn't a place for her in feminism because she... Uh, Who is that reminding you of? Right, and that always <laughs> reminds me of of Lana Del Rey's infamously bad Instagram posts <laughs> from like 2019. Just so poorly that worded shit and slapped so hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just bad from from front to back. She was not using her brain. Yeah. Um, it, it's a very distinctly white woman point to make about because. Okay, here's the thing. I am sure there are many ladies out there who have and do shame Megan Fox without knowing anything about her. Like, I I totally believe that, that uh, she's been through that from women and women who claim to be feminists too. So I can understand how she would be pushed in that direction. But ultimately, you would think that by this point, um, she would have the higher knowledge to know that her speaking out on that is not, it's not a a real point. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's also not in her best interest. (laughs) Yeah, it's not in her best interest and it's not an actual point. Like she's not making a point there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because she talked in the interview about how she felt like she, IRL, was like being sacrificed to the industry gods as like a hot, sexy lady, which like, yes. But then her points kind of like spin off into this Lana-esque tangent where she's just like, I'm a hot, delicate woman who's highly sensitive and is really bothered by the media. Literally, she and Lana have a ton in common. They do have a ton in common. They have a ton in common. And the whole like publicly intense slash volatile Megan Fox, MGK relationship, like fits so perfectly into the entire narrative. But I will say that she seems like an extremely authentic person for better or for worse. And I do appreciate that about her. She does kind of seem like a crystals bitch too. (laughs) I was just about to say, I feel like she's like two steps away from being like, I manifested MGK in a dream after I took mushrooms in the woods somewhere. Like I appreciate her as a media personality who seems willing to take a risk. You know what I'm saying? And also just entertaining. Okay, so we are about to uh, enter our second half here. I rented this movie and Audrey got it on Tubi. Guys, use Tubi. Have an ad blocker and use Tubi and you'll be good. Yeah, I'm fake. So give it a watch. And when we return, Joey will be with us and we will truly get into it as a little group. So enjoy the movie and we will be back. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, 
This is death Ready. of a film star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. everyone we are back for the second half of our episode and joey has joined us and we're so excited that they're here hi joey hello oh my gosh i'm so excited to be here you guys (laughs) we are thrilled (laughs) to have you you are definitely um one of our most faithful listeners always giving the feedback we need it's great it's been a long time coming and i'm very excited it's finally it's finally happened truly i feel like this is like the uh the grand grand amalgamation that we've been waiting for so absolutely so (laughs) so for those who don't know um joey well i have like a whole bunch of little things written down about you but uh in terms of the podcast joey is our merch designer so whenever you hear us being like buy the merch um joey's beautiful work went into it so if you've seen any of our stuff before um they made it and it's great also joey would you want to describe like who you are what you do what the vibe is Oh my gosh, absolutely. So you guys, for those of you who don't know, I'm Joey. I am the merch designer, as it has been said. I am from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I am a graphic designer and digital illustrator. Um, I also work at Ulta because that's just that's just the way things are right now. And that's that's fine. <laughs> um, but I ha- I do work for uh, Trixie Mattel, Loverboy. Um, it gets better. Um, basically all the really fun, like fruity, feminine clients that we live for. Mm-hmm. Um and aside from that, I also am on TikTok. I make toy review videos over there, makeup review, video, makeup review videos, just anything that makes me happy, makes people smile. So that's what I'm all about. Joey, love that you're here. So happy you're finally here. And we saved our hot take of the week for when you were to join us. So Beautiful. what is our hot take of the week this week? So I asked, what is the, super, well, basically, what is the superior, like, character bedroom, whether it be a TV or, like, movie scenario? Personally, for me, I'm very into, and I know this is, like, a hot take. It's the iCarly bedroom, but specifically when she gets her makeover bedroom because she gets all of, like, <gasps> the can- like the gigantic candy elements and the chandelier and the uh, uh-huh. and the sandwich, and the ice cream sandwich, like, autumn. I mean, like, it's just so lit. And then she had that gigantic, like, vanity <laughs> TV thing. I was like, she's a spy kid queen. Mm-hmm. Like, that spy kid stuff. I loved it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say, and my answer is really similar, but it's just the That's So Raven version. Yes, yes, I was yes, thinking yes, that, yes. too. She, mm-hmm. she also had a bedroom makeover, and she had that bed that was hanging. Sweet. And I thought that was oh. the coolest, mm-hmm. the coolest thing ever. Okay, I have, I guess this is kind of cheating because my first thought was Regina George's bedroom, a great bedroom. But I think this is kind of off-brand for me, but I feel like Arnold's bedroom in Hey Arnold is an underrated good bedroom. (laughs) 
Like with the skylight and it's like in the attic and it's so cute. Like I always thought that that was really cool, even though it wasn't like hyper girly or feminine or anything. Um, It was a vibe. And he always like laid there and looked at the sky and there was like freeform jazz playing in the background. And like, who could ask for more? (laughs) I loved that bedroom. It was like very Um, Also shout out to... Um, Lola Steps bedroom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And you're here with us today because you're a significant fan of Jennifer's body. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Since this, (laughs) since the the minute you guys, the minute this movie like just hit the scene, I was a changed, changed person. It was, it was intense. It was intense for me. Okay. So, (laughs) Normally, as you know, we always talk about our like first viewing experience or like things we remember about this movie from the very first exposure we had to it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your experience is with Jennifer's body from 2009 to today? Okay, so before we get into that, just like the the. um, Audrey, I feel like I, I've just got this to Hannah, but we, you and I haven't really talked about it. Basically, a lot of, like, my interests and things were policed growing up. So, like, a lot of, like, like movies, like, feminine movies were kind of, like, my only, like, uh, real outlet to kind of express and celebrate femininity. And around this mm-hmm. time, around middle school time, was when I was started being bombarded with, like, the kind of, like, teenage boy movies that at the time were especially, like, gross and misogynistic. Like, I'm thinking kind of, like, knocked up and, like, saying, and, like things that were, like, kind of, like, were specifically mm-hmm. women were kind of written as, like, these pro and like really gross props at that. So we were going to see another movie at the movie theater. I don't remember which one. It might've been like um, a disaster movie or something like along those lines. It's something really like Mm -hmm. kind of immature and teenage boy-esque, but that's what we were going to see. And I remember uh, we were walking through and I saw the poster for the the Jennifer's Body movie. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold the phone. (laughs) And I I walked over because like, I think my dad and my brothers were really getting tickets. I walked over and I was looking at it and I was like, okay, this isn't, I knew this wasn't turning me on. I was like, this isn't this. I know this isn't doing that. But I was like, but she's an icon. She's legendary. I knew it was Megan Fox. I had seen her before. I loved her. But then I looked at it closer and I was like, is that a hand coming out of like, I remember like the hand coming out. And then I really was like looking. I was like, oh, this looks lit. This looks so good. And I knew it wasn't coming out until like, like later on because it, like, it was a coming soon post or whatever. But I was like, Gonna see that. Gonna just make a mental note. Gonna see that in the future. Um, don't recall the other events that day. That's really the only thing I recall from that movie theater experience was seeing that poster. Fast forward to like around Christmas time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out. I either had it on DVD or I got it from iTunes. I remember I was sitting on my brother's bed watching it in his room behind him because I was also not really into horror movies at all. And I was under the impression mm-hmm. that this was like a real hardcore rated R gory horror movie. And I was just like, not that kind of girl, like at all. Like I was just like, not, <laughs> right. so, but I was like, but I was like, you got to do it. You got to just brave, put on a brave face and just go for it. So I, I turned it on. I was sitting there and I saw this, like the pink type, you know, just come up on the screen. I was like, oh, Oh, okay. 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 We're good. We're good. Everything's fine. Everything's fine here. <laughs> this movie basically confirmed and also fueled my like inherent distrust of like men and masculinity and sort of like my further allowed me to put fem- like put femininity on a pedestal. And mm-hmm. it was really cool to see like the, specifically Bacon Fox, who at up until this time had, had been kind of put into roles that did kind of like objectify and like make her like, the, like, 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 like kind of... I don't want to say less than what she is because those roles are still iconic, but at the same time, like it was, uh-huh. she wasn't like given the full forefront as to what she's given in Jennifer's body. So it was really cool to see her in that role there, mm-hmm. but it was also just cool to see like a really powerful female character who was celebrating like her, it was definitely felt very, very queer, which even though I wasn't mm-hmm. like, 
I'm fully like aware of my own queerness yet. I, it, that, it was very kind of comforting. And I was just like, oh, okay, okay, I'm here for this. I love seeing the guys get torn apart. I was like, this is very cathartic <laughs> because like, even though I had had z- absolutely zero experience with them, I very much like saw myself and a lot of like my rage towards men and sort of mm-hmm. like my rage towards the fact that I wasn't like kind of like that I deal like man I guess mm-hmm. at the time like I feel like I was it was it was very good to see like all of that just kind of ripped to shreds and like that that like feminine kind of being settled separated again so it just it, right. kind of, it kind of just very much allowed me to be like oh this is maybe where you should maybe pivot more towards like maybe not <laughs> maybe not killing people maybe not like being a bit I'm not gonna lie to you though um like a lot of <laughs> other cis oh I guess well I'm not cis but at the time was um cis gay me, I'm definitely taking like bits and pieces of like mean girl personalities and kind of sprinkling that through. I've since kind of mm-hmm. cleansed myself of that because you know that's mm-hmm. not that's not the vibe. But definitely <laughs> taking bits and pieces of that. And I think kind of like at the time was sort of necessary because I feel like this movie kind of gave me like an armor that I sort of felt like I needed, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was it was very like gratifying to see. <laughs> wow, that's such a wow. beautiful relationship with this movie. Yeah. Oh my god! And also, just like I'd also seen Juno prior, and I didn't—I don't think I was aware that they were written by the same person. But like, I really mm-hmm. vibe with Juno. I loved that movie. Like, really. So I, I guess—I guess the vibes there also. I was like very attracted to like like there's certain like like dialogue deliveries that like Jennifer has like in the movie like there's this one part where she's like like no way like Eric like Eric's snake shit like the way she just says certain <laughs> stuff is just so like funny and like I didn't expect it to be funny like I was very like delighted but also scared but also kind of horny like it was it was all very it was it was a lot it was a lot for me to take it outside <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Audrey when's the first time you saw Jennifer's body and what was your reaction or like what are your early memories of it. I knew about it vaguely from when it came out, I think, but I never saw it because Hannah and I both didn't watch horror movies. So Mm -hmm. it was just like, you know, it was basically taken out of the game before it even had a chance. Like, I I just didn't know. With the exception, with the exception of Sweeney Todd, which I watched in eighth grade. That doesn't really count. I feel like it counts (laughs) in the way that Jennifer's body counts. I would argue no, but also when you watch them both, yes, they are on par with each other after you've seen them. Yeah. But beforehand, they, you're, they're not perceived yeah, in a similar true. way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll give you that. I didn't actually watch it, I think, until like 2017 or so. Mm-hmm. And I was in college and it's just a movie that you hear about in film school, yeah. I feel like. And yeah, I lived. And I, I <laughs> that was the beginning, the beginning of when I started watching horror in general. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Like, because before that, I was just like, I can't, like, I just, yeah. I can't. And then I, I figured out how to turn that part of my brain off mm-hmm. that like gets scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of my college roommate, Angela. She is like a connoisseur of horror movies and um, she really, really loved Jennifer's Body um, among other way more like hardcore uh, horror movies. Um, But I learned about it. I mean, I definitely knew about it when it came out because there was a Haley Williams of Paramore solo track on the soundtrack. And I've always been a big Paramore person. Um, So I knew about that. Um, But otherwise, I 
well, the real truth is I didn't watch it until like three days ago, somehow. Um, which when I told Joey that they were like, this is, this is a code red. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) I know. I know. This is a classic case. (laughs) I mean, this movie has me writing paragraphs. It has me writing essays. It really, like, like flowing from the pages, flowing from our tips. Yeah. Onto the paper. Also, I will just say this, too. Like, even though not everybody has seen this movie, everybody has an opinion on it. Like, everybody has mm-hmm. something to say mm-hmm. about it, which I think, like, is very interesting. Because that's not the case with every movie, you know? No, yeah. Love it or hate it, you probably have an opinion. And mm-hmm. that's that's good cinema, you know? Amen. <laughs> We're going to start with the worst now category because we're obviously going to go on for days about all the good things and the interesting <laughs> things. And let me just say, seeing Chris Pratt is never a good experience. <laughs> um, I, I, every time I see his face, and he is perfectly cast, like he is playing a part that that is perfect for who I see him as. Yeah, I don't like seeing his face. Also, worse is just any implication that Amanda Seyfried isn't hot. Like any anything that is saying like she's nerdy or like she's not, she's somehow less hot than Megan Fox. Like you're not really disguising that very well. That's a classic thing. Like they like think um, Anne Hathaway in Princess Diaries. Like, well, you know what though? Also. It's like the classic thing where like they let a starlet's hair be like a tiny bit curly and then they're like, she's busted. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like curly, but not in like, yeah. Right. Joey, what do you have in worse? So, okay. I'm just going to get like really fast, pick the low hanging fruit, just the part with the boom box. I'm not going to say what she called it, but that part. And then also the part about getting her nails fixed just didn't age well. We're just going to put that down. But a part that has always bothered me about this movie is there's no explanation as to how that fire started. Like, we never see, mm-hmm. like, any of the band, like, pour any gasoline anywhere or, like, clip a wire. And it's bothersome. It bothers me. And I just wish, because it's not like they're already, like, magical satanic beings, like, prior to the ritual. So it's like, I don't, I don't know, Satan did the fire? But that, I just wish there was a bit more, like, explanation there. Yeah, so do you wish that the band caused the fire in this grand plan? Or do you wish that there was just a physical reason that it happened and then it happened to help their plan? Ooh, ooh, I wish they just caused it. I feel like them getting lucky enough to have it work in their favor, I don't want them to get that lucky. I feel like I want them to be the assholes who caused the fire. Yeah, me too. I think that's a stronger choice. I agree. So under the problematic list, I have like the same amount as bad, but my bad things are really nitpicky. Um, Okay, so both of you will enjoy this as as graphic design people, but the font choice for the BFF locket bothered me so much. It was like the ugliest (laughs) font of all time. And I was like, come on, you couldn't have picked a better font than that. It's like Apple Chancery or something. Like... Sad, just sad font choice. I thought that uh, Jennifer was going to kill her mom. I I wrote down Jennifer's going to kill mom too. Or no, 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 that she was going to kill Needy's mom. Like I thought that was like my prediction, um, which I don't know why it's written under bad, but I had it under bad. And really my two things were, I felt a little bit confused about why 
Jennifer got into the van in the first place. Like, I feel like it was supposed to be, um, or and it, and it is like a statement about like assault sort of, like taking advantage of someone in a state of shock or someone who's like fresh off of a traumatic situation and like making it even worse. Um, but as I was watching it, I was like, eh. That that was a little like a question mark for me. But really my main thing was that I was watching this movie by myself and this movie is so suspenseful in parts that it's like exhausting to watch by yourself and to not know what's going to happen. I was going through it, but the suspense was impactful and good, I have to say. I was just to say very quickly going off the, just going back to the font thing, there was a banner for like this, for like the dance at the end and they're using papyrus for it. And that has also <laughs> always bothered the hell out of me ever <laughs> since I first saw it. It is just, it just tears me apart. <laughs> but you know what? It is accurate because bitches do be using True. papyrus. True, especially for <laughs> When they shouldn't and events. have, n- right, Exactly. <laughs> So at least it's true to life, you know? That's true. Um, <laughs> I feel like maybe next we should just do dated and problematic and just wipe that out the way because there uh-huh. are some things in the dialogue that haven't aged well, such as use of the R word, talking about Ahmed from India, um, and just like a bunch of like throw, kind of like throwaway lines. They're usually jokes um, that that were fine then that like aren't fine now. The whole thing was just very fall 2009 to me. Like that was my freshman year of high school. The whole, uh, it was very of that time, but like not in a good way. It's like hard to tell it. I don't think Diablo Cody seems as though she'd be the kind of person to, uh, you know, actually like be like a, um, an ignorant individual, but then again, this is the writing, and it's hard to tell if it is like her like like 2009 like personal morals, or if she's trying to like make statements about like these characters' morals like through this dialogue. It's very, mm-hmm. it's just hard to tell because it's like we're kind of for so far removed from that mindset of 2009 now as people. It's just it's hard to analyze that, you know. I think mostly it was just it was just fine. Like that that was still accepted as you know it might be a. Sl- a little edgy humor, Mm -hmm. but it was still, like, widely Mm -hmm. accepted. Joey, you start, talk about the good stuff from Jennifer's body, which, so many things. (laughs) Right off the bat, love that double sticker in Needy's Locker that looks very similar to Jennifer. It's very, it's very, like, in your face, but I like it. It's very obvious. Um, (laughs) As a kid, I did feel very seen and protected by her when Roman was, like, you know, he called him a couple of faggos, and she was like, well, you would think that, Roman. You would think that. Like, you know, da-da-da. And I was like, you know what, Jennifer? I don't think I'm gay, but I probably am. And I respect I respect that you like the gays. You're an ally, babe. Um, what else? What else? What else? When she was like, K-I-C-K-E-R. Um, it reminded me of the push apart from Mean Girls, which I also appreciated. And also, it's not, it wasn't in the Tubi version, but in the other version, there's a part where she's getting sacrificed. Like, there's, again, <laughs> certain dialogue things where she's like, I can be a part of your street team. Like, I don't know. It's just like shit like that just made, it makes me laugh. <laughs> so it was just, it's fun to be yeah. happy for the whole time, I guess. Right. Speaking of, of dialogue, I do just have like a list of lines mm-hmm. I'm going to run through because they're all great. Of course, everybody, everybody loves the, it smells like Thai food in here. Have you guys been fucking? <laughs> everybody loves that one. Um, the shout out to Aquamarine uh-huh. that exists. We have to recognize, even though she is bringing it up in a less than 
a satisfying <laughs> way. Because <laughs> she's like, I what did she say? A girl who's half sushi yeah. and like fucks with her blowhole. The entire sequence of lines at the end with... Um, like, you got a tampon because she wants to, like, plug her entire <laughs> That wound. made me laugh out loud. <laughs> that is so good. When Needy is, like, fighting her in the final, the final kill. And she's like, do you get all your murder weapons at <laughs> Home Depot? God, you're <laughs> butch. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. And then, of course, my tit and no, your heart. <laughs> that is. Oh, so great. After they fight in the pool house, you kind of think the movie's Mm -hmm. over. And then you get this entire, like, last quarter. Not even quarter. It's less than a quarter. But you get this last hurrah. And on top of it, there's a framing device for the whole thing that you also don't necessarily expect to pay off as well as it does. Um, I definitely didn't expect it to pay off. And the fact that she, you know, absorbs a bit of Jennifer's power, like the demon power, she floats, she breaks out of the, the like, the solitary confinement. And then goes and... Yeah. Yeah, and, like, seeks revenge on the band. It's just... It's also just expert post-credit storytelling. Uh-huh. Like, I... I I love that kind of thing when when the credits are still like in within the story or like in the style of the film. That's like my favorite, my favorite thing. This is kind of like an overall statement, but embodied in this one specific line, which is like this movie just like relentlessly makes the boys look stupid as hell, which I love. Um, But one of my favorite examples of it is when um, Needy is having sex with Chip for the first time and she's like panicking because she's like having the vision of whatever. And he's like, am I too big? <laughs> that literally made me laugh out loud. I was like, this is perfect. Um, that was a highlight for me. I love it when um, they're in the pool house and she says, nice insult, Hannah Montana. Also perfect. Um, it was yeah. just, obviously the dialogue is amazing. And I feel like Diablo Cody, like her writing style was a cultural reset for like anyone our age, even just in the way that we speak now. Like I feel like that movie and Juno and Mean Girls, all these movies like really revolutionized the way that a lot of us talk, which is cool. I, I got to admit, Through the Trees, kind of a bop. Yeah. Kind of good. It is. <laughs> I was listening to that shit like, like unironically, just through school. And you know what? I have no regrets. No regrets to this Yeah. Guy. When I was watching this movie, uh, the, since I've seen it so many times, I was, like, trying to pay more attention to, like, the setting and, like, the clothing. And I was trying to, like, to, like just kind of pick up, like, details that I maybe hadn't picked up on before. And one of the things I really noticed was, like, a lot of, like, the BFF necklace, just specifically when we first Jennifer, she walks in and, like, toying with it. And it's very, like, she needed to kind of, like, almost, like, seduct mm-hmm. Edie into doing what she wants. Yeah, that's a great point how like tuned in Megan Fox's performance is when you really pay attention to details like that, you know, twirling the necklace that as like a symbol of like toying with needy, like it's, it's, it's all there. And um, when you go back and rewatch it, you can really like appreciate those sorts of touches because you can't know that from the beginning. And I also was noticing the influence of Heather's 
um, with Jennifer's body because, you know, we've got this element of how are these deaths affecting the school? And like, there's a teacher talking about it and, you know, the kids are stressed out and the kids are all um, rallying behind the band. And it, it just <laughs> has like, it has some some Heather's DNA in it for sure. With the Heathers with their bright, bright, bright outfits on and you see Miss Jennifer just like walking down the hallway and that iconic heart hoodie just like, like, it's just like, she really is at the center yeah. of attention. And of course it's like, it's obvious that she's supposed to be the center of attention, like through the, like through the clothing, but it's just, it really does kind of evoke that Heather's vibe too. And also a Mean Girls vibe mm-hmm. as well. It's the, it's like yeah. the school counselor addressing grief of it all. <laughs> like, it, like two of right. the whole school. Um, yeah, definitely saw that influence. You guys, I also just really like, appreciated like what I'm going to call the clever camera work here only for the sake of like comedic relief and I'm specifically thinking about like the part where like you see I think his name is Jonas he like the football player guy he's like standing there on the football court and there's like that really heavy metal music playing and you see her walking in from the right like very very distinctly from the right and zooms in on him and all of a sudden she's just like very quickly on his left she's like hi like very like bright and like cheerful (laughs) and like quick and I don't know it just like always makes you laugh and then same with like when we first see the band and like that really up close shot of like Amanda Seyfried's forehead, she's like looking back and it's almost like a Scooby-Doo episode. Like it's, it's very like cartoony where you see her like very up close. I thought that was very just like funny. And it, I felt it feel, I don't know, mm-hmm. it feels like they're trying to be like goofy with it. And I appreciate it, you know, just kind of, I guess like to mm-hmm. lighten the mood, even when like they're literally discussing sacrificing her friend. We had this like weird shot of Amanda Seyfried. It was just, it was just fun. It was just fun to see. Yeah. That's a classic type of shot too, where, I think it's called diopter or diopted shot where you take the same shot, uh, one one of them focusing on the people in the background, one of them focusing on the people in the f- or person in the foreground, and then you cut them together. Yes. And it's a really unnatural look because a camera, like your eyes, cannot focus on two things at once. So when you yes. see it, it's really uncomfortable. And that's usually like why that- it's used. Oh my God, Audrey, thank you. Because literally, I, first of all, I had no clue. And secondly, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very uncanny. So it, it feels very, like, it felt very like uncanny to see. I think that's a better descriptor but like I didn't know that I feel like I feel like I just learned so many things man (laughs) also I love that you said um, did I say football football court court? (laughs) (laughs) you know you know the football court I don't I know my way around around the football court it's fine it's all good like (laughs) (laughs) also I just wanted to say uh that in the way that this movie is so 2009, I feel like that's even more backed up by the fact that like throughout the movie, you see all of these like extremely of the moment band posters, including Motion City Soundtrack and Four Year Strong, um, which just spoke to my like alternative press teenage heart a lot. Um, and also just loved that I Want to Love You by Akon was playing in the background in one of the yeah. scenes. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah. It's all an extended metaphor for what happens when men become a factor in female best friendships. Mm -hmm. Like whatever infects Jennifer, you know, a demon, a demon in this case, is like essentially boy disease. That's kind of how I Uh see it. Um, And um, 
it, it completely explains why a male viewer or like whoever the fuck they were marketing this movie to just had absolutely no understanding or like perspective for it. It was just, it's just not for them. And I, I, I can appreciate how this movie illustrates the way that male validation changes the way that some women and girls interact with each mm-hmm. other. And um, it's something that I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't enjoy talking about it that much because it's like, I don't, I don't ever want to shame that aspect of like, I guess, hetero women where, but it's, it's something that genuinely happens like in female friendships once, you know, dudes become a part of it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's unfortunately really true. It's like, especially in high school, like if your best friend or someone you're close with, like gets a boyfriend, it's like curtains, Loki. <laughs> I can't speak to like the cis, like straight, like, like females, like, like, like just straight woman perspective and like um, perspective um, in this specific circumstance because I am not one. Um, I obviously <laughs> am surrounded by them at all times, but I like, I'm not one, so I'm not going to speak to that. But I will say um, it's interesting to see how they kind of like, or rather how Needy puts Chip on this, like, pedestal, right? And he's, upon watching this again, he's the worst. He's shitty. He doesn't care about her. Like, he, like, she's literally like, yeah, I feel, she's like, I feel guilty, like, being alive. And he's like, word. Like, he's just, like, not, like, a good, like, receptive boyfriend. And it's just, it, it's very, it's very, it bears a lot of the relationships I've seen in, in my family friends. It's very interesting from that regard, you know? And it's interesting to see how, mm-hmm. like, and I guess in this specific circumstance, how, like, Chip himself is being kind of used as a kind of pawn or a trophy. And they're in the middle of their relationship. And I feel like that is very common. And But again, I'm not a woman. I'm not going to speak towards, yeah. like, female, female as far as specifically. So, but I feel like from the outskirts of town, that's how it right. works. <laughs> <laughs> the outskirts, yeah. Generally speaking, Chip is a quote, good guy. Mm -hmm. He's a quote, nice guy. And, um, you know, compared to the band dudes, he looks great. I mean, he is, he's a great person by comparison, but even somebody like Chip, who, uh, when Needy's trying to portray to him this situation, he, he, quite literally gaslights her about it and is like, no, I believe you, but I just don't believe this. And that is such Mm -hmm. a, that is such a touchstone of nice guy behavior, Mm -hmm. I feel like. And then also like, she's like, we can't go to the dance. It's so dangerous. And he's like, but I spent $12 on that corsage, babe. (laughs) It's just so awful. Yeah, and at the end of the day, he lets Jennifer make out with him even though he hasn't heard anything from Needy's mouth. Why would he believe Jennifer at her word when he already already distrusts her? So the the math ain't mathin'. Hannah, what what do you think about the, like, (laughs) gay-ness I was just... I was just coming up with something in my mind about it. Yeah. So, well, one thing that I think is really interesting about the gayness of it all is that, like, 
It's like Needy is able to have like a raging crush on Jennifer while still having this boyfriend and everyone just like accepts it, including her. And I just feel like the way that like the crush is like kind of on the back burner after the first like quarter of the movie um, kind of just speaks to like the complexity of high school female friendships, especially with like baby lesbians or like baby bisexuals like you can't even put it into words like why you're jealous or like why you're controlling um because you don't have like the facilities to be able to look at it from the right perspective but I really appreciate how this movie like is super gay but it's like not uh, like fetishy or like male gazy about it or when it is it's like really intentionally done like it's very like it's like self-aware mm-hmm. about how it's framing the queerness and I'm surprised that I didn't watch this movie earlier because of the gay stuff on top of it all I'm just surprised the one question I have left um Joey if you have opinions on this before we started the second half we were talking about like Megan Fox's presence in media these days um oh I'm so yeah what are your thoughts on this situation so I'm really happy you bring this up because I, I hoped you guys would. Basically, <laughs> I am not here for the Megan Fox MGK, MGK hate train to an extent. Mm-hmm. I think they should be allowed to be cringy if they want to be. They're both adults. They're both attractive. <laughs> they're both happy. Let them be cringy if they want to be cringy. Where I draw the line, though, on the cringe is the weird, like, it hurts her ring to take off. That's the one part where I'm like, we don't need to be doing that. But, like, I, like, because uh, it just felt like one day, like, like literally within two days, it was like, oh, we love them. And the next day, it's like, oh, they're cringe. They're, 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 they're too much. Like, no, they're not. They're hot. They're happy. They're fine. Leave them alone. And I'm happy that Megan specifically is like getting her resurgence. Glad this movie is getting its resurgence. Like it's really like great to see like the younger generation and specifically the audience, like an audience who it was meant to be appreciated by, is like actually growing up and being able to appreciate it, which is hot. Mm-hmm. But then also, I'm just really like happy for the longevity of Megan's career. I'm hoping that we're gonna get to see her in like more stuff. I know she's already been in more stuff, um, like like recently, which is really really hot but it's just like it makes me really hopeful for like of like Lindsay as well for mm-hmm. her comeback it makes me really hopeful for like all the other like girlies and like I'm just here for it I really really <laughs> love you guys yeah I would love to see like a Thelma and Louise-esque movie with <gasps> Megan Fox and Lindsay Lohan it oh my awesome. god oh, Yes. That's yes. the only yes. remake of that movie that I would be okay with if it was two people like that. Jennifer's mom looks like the a Bratz, like they made Bratz Dom moms. <laughs> Jennifer's mom looks just like that. And I think that, and I just, I, I love that. Like she's just like, she's fitting the role. She's, she's the, and, and if any, if Jennifer's mom was going to look like anybody, I would expect it to be a Bratz yeah. Dom. So mm-hmm. it's just like, it's in the details, girlies. It's in the details. <laughs> like, that's so good. I didn't even know they made brat stall moms. They're like they look just like uh like Y two K like bimbo moms. Love. I love them all. Like, I'll send you guys pictures later. They're really iconic. Please like, do. Yeah, and and going going back to the Lindsay Megan thing, 
I, I'm all for the resurgence. I want them to get great roles, but they have to be in stuff with good writing because that's where yes. they have shined in the past. Mean Girls um, and Jennifer's Body. Those are like their their greatest works. And it's because of these like basically white woman writers who have like quippy remarks, but they do such a great, <laughs> they do such a great job with it. And um, that's what I'm scared of with Lindsay, especially right now, <laughs> is that the stuff mm-hmm. that she's in, it's, I'm happy she's got getting jobs, but it's not going to be good mm-hmm. movies. And that's sad to me. Like, like she needs to get like a Jennifer Coolidge type of thing where it's like mm-hmm. Jennifer Coolidge now is in White Lotus and she's she's got Mike mm-hmm. White writing for her specifically. And that that's the sort of energy that they need. They don't just need like, Hall, like Hallmark Christmas movies or like some weird blockbuster mm-hmm. thing. Like they need specific work for them. I'm wondering if like Lindsay specifically is like looking at these, like, 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 like looking at what she was offered. And I'm wondering if any of those thoughts, <laughs> if you just expressed have crossed her mind, because I, if I, if I were in her shoes, if I was in those Louboutins, <laughs> I just like wouldn't, I just like wouldn't like look at like a Hallmark like script and be like, okay, I am Lindsay Lohan. Like I understand that it's been a while, but I am Lindsay Lohan. Like for the love of God, like put me in just, so I hope that that's going to be like her thought process. But, but like, we don't know. You're, you're, you're Roger, Audrey, you're probably right. Like, I mean, like I'm pretty sure she's going to be in like a Christmas movie with Cord Overstreet. That just took two strikes off my life right there. Yeah. Like, just the Hallmark and the chatting about it. Like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, so, I wonder why. I hate to think that Lindsay just got lucky in the early 2000s with her, you know, her uh, forays into good writing and that she actually might not have good taste. And that is a scary thought, but it could be true. I feel like you just told me Santa Claus. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I know. Okay. Do we have anything left to say? There's always more to say, but today, is there anything left to say? I do. I did take the earrings, the sleepover center, sleepover center my earrings. I did turn them into a necklace because I don't have my ears pierced, but I did want to wear them. So oh my I God. am. That's I do so have cool. them all on there. So for those of you, I, I, I was like, oh my God, because this is like a... Uh, this is like a a, a jean, no, bleh, pant chain that broke. So I was like, my turn into a necklace. But like, I was like, I I, I want to wear them. I want I want I want to represent for the girlies. But you know, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't pull like an apple core situation because I didn't want to hurt myself. So this is what we did. This is what that's we did. so <laughs> cute. Buy the merch, please. The whole outfit yes. is so right. Like Jennifer's body uh-huh. shirt, guys. merch on the necklace. Okay, so Joey, where can everyone um, find you on social media and whatnot? So I am at Joey Sunny Design on Instagram and then Joey Sunny D on TikTok. And then my website, my website is linked on both, but it is jdonateliedesign.com if you'd like to go peruse my work and also shop my pins that uh, Hannah and Audrey have so kindly um, yes. mentioned to you over the past couple of weeks. And yeah. I have my daddy figure. My daddy figure is right here. <laughs> I love him. He's beautiful. He's so beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, Joey, such a long time coming. So glad that you were able to join us and for a movie you're so passionate about. 
it's just, it was a match made in heaven. I just like, this was my first ever like podcast situation. I had a lovely time. You know, I love you guys. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm just, you know, I'm just very, I'm very honored. I'm feeling very honored. So thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. We'll be back next. Wait, will we? Will we be back next week? Yeah, w- w- this is our penultimate episode of season four. Next week mm-hmm. is the season finale. So, and it's a big one. Oh it's a big one. <laughs> I know. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to carve out a significant amount of time to prepare yeah. for this next one. This is exciting. I should like. I'm. I'm. I'm getting geared up, you guys. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we all have that to look forward to. Um, Make sure to check out Joey's work um, because they're the best. And we will be back next week with a big special episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer of the show is Michael D'Aloya. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if it's become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends, maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs) History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.